We do have another announcement here. It's on the back of your uh, blue um, uh, sheet here. It's a, it's a word of appreciation. And this morning, we're blessed to have uh, Dr. and Mrs. Overstreet here as our, as our guests and our friends who we've known for many, many years. They have supported us and been so kind to us. And uh, what we'd like to do before I ask them to ask uh, Dr. Overstreet to come up to, uh, to open the word of God for us, we'd like to present them with a little gift. So if they would come and... Uh, we just want to say thank you for your years of friendship and ministry towards us. And there's a card here signed by uh, folks from our church and then a gift. Oh. And we just want to say thank you so much. Uh, Mrs. Overstreet has spoken at our women's fellowship and Dr. Overstreet has spoken at our men's fellowship. He's filled the pulpit here many, many times over the past probably 15, 16 years. And uh, so they are moving back to the Midwest. And what I'll do is I'll let them... Um, uh, share a little bit about uh, uh, what their plans are for the future and maybe how we might be able to pray for you and uh, what we would, uh, uh, we would love to be able to support you in that way. And so I will uh, let you turn on your mic. And well, since um, I'm going to do the preaching later, I've heard you talking now. How's that? Well, we've come to that point in our lives where we feel like we need to transition you know, uh, some people call it retiring, but uh, we don't plan on retiring from the Lord's work. And so uh, we just want to do it in a different place, I suppose. But uh, we're moving back to Indiana. Uh, many of you know that we have a daughter there with uh, family. And so uh, we are in the process of selling our home. And thank you for praying for that. Today, there it's an open house at our house. And uh, so we're just praying diligently that God will bring us a buyer and that we'll be able to be on our way. Our contract ends on uh, June 30th. And so uh, we can't live here very much longer after that. But uh, the Lord knows all about that. But we will be building a home there, a small home uh, near our daughter. And uh, our son-in-law is a contractor, so he'll be building it for us. And we're excited about that. And... Um, uh, my husband wants to write, and so he has five books floating around in his head, so he wants to get them on paper. <laughs> so that's what he'll be doing, and for me, I'm not sure uh, just what the Lord has for me. i probably do some volunteer work uh, in, in between after we build our house, but we appreciate your prayers and uh, know that God's going to do something special. You know, it's wonderful. Oh, I have to say, though, one thing that he has done that we just found out about it. Uh, Larry has written a book on biographical preaching, and we just found out the other day that it has been translated in Korea, into Korean and is being published in Seoul, Korea um, uh, through Kriegel Publishing. So we're excited about that and what that's going to do. So. Uh, that, that was a real exciting thing that we just found out. Anyway, the Lord has lots of exciting things for us, and we know he has that for you, too. Uh, this is a, an exciting time in the Pacific Northwest. There's a lot of changes, and uh, we just feel like your church is on the cutting edge here and that you're trying to minister to people all around you, and that's wonderful. And so we look forward to hearing more about what's going on in, uh, in your midst, and we'll check the website. <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, this morning we're blessed to have Dr. Overstreet open the Word of God to us, so don't sit down too quickly, and uh, we'll uh, 
give the time over to him, and we really want to extend our appreciation for you. Uh, be sure you uh, thank them after our services. This is the last time they'll be here with us this uh, while, while they're still residing here, and we have a, a cake and some refreshments for you later on. So, all right. Well, thanks, Joe. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Is it on? Yes. All right. Uh, we uh, weren't expecting that. I, I had a pre-introduction already in my mind, and now it's gone. Uh, but the Lord is faithful. We we've certainly appreciated the fellowship that we've had here with you folks, and uh, the years that have progressed, and the opportunity of seeing what the Lord has done. And we do trust that He's going to continue to do exciting things in the days ahead. So we're looking forward to hearing some things that will be taking place. And we will be coming back to the Northwest. Linda didn't mention we, we do have a daughter in Indiana, and we are going to be living by her family. Uh, we also have a daughter in Texas. I've been to Texas. I don't particularly want to live in Texas. Uh, just uh, not, not my kind of territory. But then we have a son who lives here in Lakewood. And let's see, today in 10 days... Our twin granddaughters will be six months old uh, right here in Lakewood. So that's one of the difficulties about leaving. But wherever we live, we're going to be away from somebody. And uh, that's the way it happens to be. So we do thank you for your prayers and your concern. And do pray, especially today, at between noon and four, when we have the open house. That's, we, bought, we bought our house as a result of an open house. We walked in and we said, that's it. We want this house. And so now we're trusting that somebody's going to walk in today and have that same thought. This is the house we want. So pray for us and we would appreciate that. I want you to imagine something with me this morning, which probably is not going to happen in the near future. But let's just imagine. Let's just imagine that a law is passed Here in the state of Washington, and as a result of that law, a decree goes out and it says all Christians must leave the state of Washington. Okay, what do you do? Just imagine that such a declaration actually occurred. And let's imagine further that it's actually supported and enforced by the United States government. Now, what do you do? How would you feel? Where would you go? What would the future hold? And I know we're sitting there thinking that could never happen. Well, it might not happen in America, but it did happen. It did occur in another country in another time. It happened in the year 50 A.D. And it happened in the city of Rome. In 50 A.D., the Emperor Claudius issued a decree enforced by the Roman army and empire. All Jews had to leave the city of Rome. Get out. Go somewhere else. And they were forcibly expelled from the city. Now, the reason that happened is because there was a considerable tension The church, the Christianity, had been started on the day of Pentecost, as you remember, and there on the day of Pentecost were many people from Rome, Jews from Rome. 
They apparently went back to the city of Rome and established the church and Christianity began to grow in the city of Rome primarily from Jewish converts. And the Jews who refused to, tr to trust Jesus as their Savior were in severe opposition to the Jews who had trusted Christ as their Savior. And the animosity had grown to such an extent that it was creating unrest in the city. And the Emperor Claudius, unable to distinguish between Jews who were Christians and Jews who were not, simply expelled everybody. They all had to leave the city of Rome. And they did. Jews were scattered throughout the Roman Empire. They had to leave the city of Rome. And you look at something like that and you say, well, that, that's just not fair. Well, that's irrelevant. They did it anyway. You say, well, that, that would be a terrible inconvenience. How do, how do people survive in a time like that? Well, the interesting thing is that there is one husband and wife team... And they were expelled from the city of Rome during that time. And they end up moving to a new city and becoming friends with a man named Paul. And their life and their testimony, bits and pieces of it, are recorded in the New Testament for us. Why don't you take your Bibles and turn with me this morning. We're going to start in the book of Acts, chapter 18. The book of Acts, chapter 18. That's where we're introduced to this husband and wife team. And as we examine them, we're going to find out what kind of a family team can be particularly used by God for His glory. The husband and wife that are involved are two that perhaps you've heard their names, Aquila and Priscilla. Or if you read the way most of it time, most of the time in the New Testament, the way their names occur, it's Priscilla and Aquila. Either case, it's a husband and wife team. Notice in the book of Acts, chapter 18, we're introduced to them, and we find out the first principle of three that is crucial as far as if you're going to be serving God, if you're going to be a family team that honors the Lord, if you're going to be a family team that is for the glory of our God, what are the characteristics that you have to have? The first one we read in Acts chapter 18. Notice it tells us in verse 1, After these things, he, that's the Apostle Paul, left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, there's our emperor, had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So here's Aquila and Priscilla. They've left the city of Rome and they have moved to the city of Corinth. But the Bible also tells us something else. They had made another move before this. Notice it tells us in verse one, verse 2 that Aquila was a native of Pontus. Now Pontus was a geographical area in what's modern day northern Turkey. It's, uh, in, in that day, it was Asia Minor, and it was right along the coast of the Black Sea, on the southern coast of the Black Sea. So Aquila grew up, apparently, in that area, Pontus, and somewhere in his life, he moved to the city of Rome. When he moved there, why he moved there, the Bible doesn't tell us. But the fact is, he grew up in Pontus and moved to Rome, and now he's been expelled from Rome by the Emperor Claudius. 
And he and his wife Priscilla have now left Rome and now they've moved to the city of Corinth. We know that he's a Jew. It tells us that in verse 2. He's, there's a Jew named Aquila. He recently came with his wife Priscilla. Now we know a couple things about the, the names of these people. The name Aquila is primarily a Roman name. And it means eagle. Some scholars think that that probably indicates that Aquila came from a, an established family. Uh, probably a family that had dignity and probably wealth. A, a family that had influence in the community. Uh, however much influence he had, it wasn't enough when he stood against Rome. He still had to leave. We also know that the name Priscilla is uh, also a Roman name. Now, interestingly enough, it tells us that Aquila is a Jew. It does not tell us Priscilla is a Jewess. It doesn't say that. As a result, many interpreters believe that Priscilla was probably a Roman, a Gentile, and that somewhere after Aquila moved to the city of Rome, he met her, perhaps through Christianity, and they were married. We also know a little bit about her name. Her name is often connected also in Roman literature with nobility. So from all indications of the names, she comes from a noble family and he comes from a noble family. They are people of influence. But that's not what is the focus of this particular chapter. And that's not the particular focus of their lives in the New Testament. Many times we look at people uh, who have earthly standing and we think that's what makes them important. And yet the Bible just kind of slides by that. That's not what's most important as far as the work of God is concerned. We find that Paul came to them at the end of verse 2. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them. For they were working, they were working for by trade they were tent makers. Now, tent makers in ancient times, they were important people. They were able to work with uh, specifically goat's hair and weave enormous pieces of cloth and turn them into tents. Now, we think of tents, if you're like I am, we think of tents that are relatively small. We think, you know, 8 by 10, 9 by 12, you know, pop it up. Maybe a pup tent that just, you know, poop and it's up and it's down. That's not the way most tents were done back in Bible times. If you were a Bedouin shepherd and you needed a good tent, uh, they were large. And the loom that a tent maker would use sometimes could be as long as 50 feet. And they would weave these enormous pieces of cloth and turn them into tents and, and they would use them. And they were just a very talented individuals that could do this. Usually the craftsman had a shop on the first floor and then his living quarters were above it on the second floor. At night he would disassemble his loom and bring it indoors. In the morning, he would reassemble it out in front, out down the side of the street. Because most of us don't have a 50-foot long living room. And you had to have it outside in order to conduct your business. Paul joins with them. Now, remember that Paul already at this time, he's well into his missionary career. He's won people to Christ in cities across the Roman Empire. But the fascinating thing is, as he deals with this family... There's no indication whatever that he talks to them about Christ. 
winning them to the Lord. No, the implication is they've already trusted Christ. They've already trusted Him and they welcome Paul into their home. He becomes part of their residence. We know from the New Testament that Paul stayed in the city of Corinth for about a year and a half. From all indications, he stayed right with them the whole year and a half. He just stayed in the same home. This was a team that starts out with their faith in Christ and then it begins to expand from there. When did they trust the Lord? Probably in the city of Rome. But at the time Paul meets them, from all indications, they're already Christians. So if we're going to be a a team that's used by God, it has to start with knowing Christ as your Savior and then making yourself available to do what He wants you to do. This team did that. That leads us to the second step. The second characteristic of their lives. What is it about them that made them so different, so unique? And I've decided, I've I've used the term, I think you'll see it there on your outline, if you've got your outline open in the back of your bulletin, that I said that they are a spiritual team. They're a spiritual team. We observe that on the basis of a few things that take place. I want you to notice what happens as you get down into the book of Acts, chapter 18, verse 18. Acts 18, 18. Paul... Having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren, put out to sea for Syria, and with him were Priscilla and Aquila. Verse 19 says, they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Later on, Paul's going to leave Ephesus and travel elsewhere, but Aquila and Priscilla stay in Ephesus. So they've moved again. They move, he moved from Pontus to the city of Rome. They move from Rome to Corinth. Now with Paul, they've left Corinth and they've moved again to the city of Ephesus. After ministering at Ephesus for a while, Paul leaves the city and Aquila and Priscilla stay there. While they are there, a fascinating thing occurs. Drop down to verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, An eloquent man came to Ephesus. He was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. And then Luke puts in this extra phrase, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. Now, several years have passed since John the Baptist had his ministry. But that ministry impact is still reaching out across the Roman Empire. Apollos had heard about Christ, but what he had heard was through the ministry of John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist died before Jesus did. So Apollos' knowledge about the Messiah, about Christ, is not complete. All he knows about Jesus is what he heard from John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist said that Jesus was coming. John the Baptist preached that Jesus is the Messiah. John the Baptist preached, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And apparently, Apollos is preaching that same thing. You need to repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the Messiah is coming. Well, the fact is, he's already come. And died. And risen again. And ascended back to heaven. And Apollos apparently doesn't have knowledge of all of that. 
But he is an impressive individual. I mean, notice verse 24. He's eloquent. He's mighty in the scriptures. By the way, when he talks about the scriptures here, that doesn't mean he had read the book of Ephesians and Hebrews and Revelation. Those books hadn't been written yet. When it talks about being mighty in scriptures, it's talking about the Old Testament. He's a Jew who thoroughly understands his Old Testament. He's got a handle on what the Old Testament scriptures are saying. But he doesn't know everything that he needs to know. So what happens? Verse 26. He began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Here, here are these lay people. They're not preachers. He's a tent maker. He's not an apostle. He's not out there traveling around the world establishing churches like the Apostle Paul did. He's not writing books of the New Testament. She's a housewife. But they know the truth of the risen Christ. I mean, they've lived with Paul for a year and a half. Don't you think he would have told them a whole lot? And they listen to Apollos and they say, he's good. He's a terrific speaker. My, he knows the Old Testament. Well, they wouldn't say the Old Testament. They'd say the Scriptures. He knows the Scriptures. And then you can almost see Priscilla and Aquila talking among themselves. You know, he's really an effective speaker, but he doesn't know as much as he needs to know. So they approach him. They take him aside privately and teach him. They are instructing him. The lay people are instructing the preacher because he needed it. They were conscious and conscientious. They knew what he needed. And they were willing to share the word of God with him. And that brings me to a key element. If you're going to be a spiritual team, you have to have a sensitivity to the word of God. You have to have a sensitivity to the Word of God. They have a sensitivity to the Word of God, the truth in all of its magnitude. They don't want to just be limited to one part of Scripture, the Old Testament. They want the new revelation that we have in the New Testament as a result of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they take Apollos aside and they teach him. The church needs capable leaders. We need capable leaders today. And Priscilla and Aquila are two that helped Apollos become an even more capable leader for the gospel of Christ. Did they succeed? Well, let's read on. Verse 27. And when he, that's Apollos, wanted to cross to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. He learned, and his message became even more powerful than it was before. Are we concerned about bringing up leaders in the church? 
effective people who can communicate the word of God with accuracy and with power. Priscilla and Aquila were that kind of team. A spiritual team with a right relationship to the, to the word of God itself. Not only did they have a right relationship to the word of God as a spiritual team, they had a devotion to the church. Now we've already seen that Aquila traveled from Pontus to Rome. Apparently that's where he married Priscilla. Then they traveled to the city of Corinth. After that, they traveled to the city of Ephesus. If you read Romans chapter 16, which we're going to do in a little bit, you'll find that they again moved back to the city of Rome. Claudius died, a new emperor came in, a man that you may have heard of, called Nero, and opened up the opportunity for Jews to return. And apparently they went back to the city of Rome. And then when you read 2 Timothy, you find they're back in Ephesus again. This is a family that's able to move around, which also indicates they had to have some wealth. In order to travel like they did, you'd have to have some wealth to be able to do it. But here's the intriguing thing. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to a couple passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul says about them. When Paul writes the book of 1 Corinthians, he's in the city of Ephesus. And notice what he writes in chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians. Verse 19. He's writing back to the city of Corinth. He says, The churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Prisca. That's a shortened form of Priscilla. Aquila and Prisca greet you heartily in the Lord. Now notice this next phrase. With the church. That's in their house. Now hang on to that thought. Here they are in the city of Ephesus. Where does the church meet? In their house. Now after, they, after Paul writes 1 Corinthians, Aquila and Priscilla move to the city of Rome. Turn back with me to Romans chapter 16. The book of Romans chapter 16. We find their names occurring in verse 3. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Verse 5. Greet the church and also greet the church that is in their house. Now they're back in Rome. What's meeting in their house in the city of Rome? The church. In 2 Timothy, we find that they move back to the city of Ephesus again. And church tradition tells us that when they move back to the city of Ephesus, they once again had a church in their house, and a fellow named Timothy was the pastor of the church. The man to whom Paul wrote, wrote the book. You see, Priscilla and Aquila, as they move from city to city... They not only are interested in having a right relationship with the Word of God, they're interested in being devoted to the church of God. Now remember back in Bible times, in the New Testament times, there were no buildings like this that the church had access to. Uh, there were no church buildings. You know, you wouldn't walk into a town and say, where's the First Baptist Church, where's the First Presbyterian Church, where's the First Methodist Church, and expect to see a building. They, they weren't there. 
churches met in homes. Now, typically, we know the homes they like to meet in would be homes that could accommodate a large crowd. Priscilla and Aquila apparently were people of wealth. Probably had large homes. So what are you going to do with your large home? Well, you're going to put in big TVs and pool tables and enjoy things, right? No, they had a large home and what they brought in was the church. The church met in their home. They were devoted to the church. Lay people. They're not in full-time Christian ministry. They're just workers. Wealthy, but workers. But they are devoted to the church. If you're going to be a spiritual team for God, if your family's going to be the right kind of family, you need a devotion to the church. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that today you have to invite all these people to your living room. Maybe some of us don't have living rooms quite that big. But it does mean that our homes should be open to the ministry of God. Our homes should be available to what God wants us to use and how he wants us to use them. The home is not something that's selfishly just for us. It's that which God gives us for his purpose and for his glory. Priscilla and Aquila are like that. So they have a relationship because they're spiritual to the word of God and they have a relationship, a devotion to the church. There's another thing that's implied in uh, Acts chapter 18, and I just want to quickly mention it. You don't have to go back there. It tells us that Paul stayed with them. That word that's translated stayed, it doesn't just mean that they had a rented room. You know, Paul had this little rented room and he came in and, you know, he parked there every day. And in the morning he went out and in the evening he came in and Priscilla and Aquila never saw him. That's not the idea. The idea of the word is that there is hospitality involved. Apparently for that whole year and a half that Paul stayed with Priscilla and Aquila, he was treated like family. No, he just he just moved in and shared life with them. I can imagine that when Priscilla got up in the morning and started cooking breakfast, that Paul could smell the eggs cooking and came down to eat. Notice I didn't say the ham. You know, they were Jews, remember? So, but he smelled the eggs cooking, he came down. The, the Starbucks was in, and down he came. All right? But you can just, in the uh, year and a half, they were hospitable toward him. They cared for him. They loved him. They accommodated him. And you can imagine that when difficult times arose, they probably gave him a shoulder to cry on. Yeah, I think the Apostle Paul probably had problems too. But we know that they did more than that. Romans chapter 16. Take another look at that chapter. Romans chapter 16. I read verse 3. And then we drop down to verse 5. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Now let's look at verse 4. Who for my life risk their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. And that's all we know. We don't know when this occurred. We don't know if it happened in Corinth. Remember, Paul came under attack in the city of Corinth. 
We don't know if it happened in Ephesus. We don't know where it occurred, but somewhere in the process, Paul's life was in danger. And he needed somebody to basically save his life. And Priscilla and Aquila risked their lives to save his life. I don't know what they did. But they knew and Paul knew. And more than that, verse 4 tells us, the churches of the Gentiles knew it. The word got out. No. Wow, did you hear what happened? If it happened in Corinth, let's just imagine it took place there. You can imagine the church in Ephesus or the church at Philippi or the church at Thessalonica. And the word gets out. Did you hear what happened in Corinth? No, what happened in Corinth? Priscilla and Aquila. Did you hear what they did? No, I didn't hear. What did they do? They saved Paul's life. Really? What happened? And you can just imagine the, the people hearing the word. Now, for whatever reason, Paul didn't think it was important that you know what it is. Because all he writes in verse 4 is, they saved my life. He thought that was sufficient. God knows the details. The churches of the Gentiles. Now notice, Aquila, Aquila is a Jew. Christian Jew. And the Gentile churches are rejoicing that they saved the life of Paul. There's this connection that they still have with churches. As they are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a marvelous couple. A family devoted to God. A family devoted to serving the Lord Jesus Christ. A family devoted to serving in every way they can. Even if it puts them at risk of their own life. They're going to serve the Savior. Boy, now that's, that's a family. That's the kind of family you ought to be. That's the kind of family I ought to be. So, this is a family. A family team. A family team because they're a Christian team. A family team because they're a spiritual team. The third point that I have on your outline there. They're a family team because they are a supportive team. Now, I already mentioned... Aquila and Priscilla, their name occurs six times in the New Testament. And here's the intriguing thing. Four out of the six, her name comes first. Two out of the six, his name comes first. You realize that in biblical times, it was unheard of that if you had a husband and wife, that you introduced the wife first. That just just didn't happen. It was a man's world. It was a man's world in Greek culture. It was a man's world in Jewish culture. It was a man's world in Roman culture. So it didn't make any difference where you moved. It was a man's world. And so here we've got Priscilla and Aquila, and her name comes first four times out of six. So why? Why is her name first four times? I believe that it's probably because she was the most outgoing of the two. She's the most vivacious. She's the most effervescent. She, when, when, when Priscilla and Aquila walked into her room, Aquila stood off to the side and talked to one friend, and Priscilla's out there meeting everybody in town. You meet people like that? Some of you men may be married to a woman like that. I think I am. All right? You know, when I, when I walk into a room, you know, I, 
I'm basically an introvert by nature. She is basically an extrovert by nature. Opposites attract, right? That's the way it works. When I walk into a room, I am perfectly content being all by myself. You may not think so, but I am. Uh, She's perfectly content meeting everybody around and finding out what's happening. And then after we leave, she says, did you hear about what so-and-so is doing? And I said, no, I didn't hear that. And what I need to hear is good. I needed to hear that. She finds those things out. Maybe you have a wife like that. What do you do? How do you get along? How do you relate to each other? From all indications, Priscilla and Aquila relate to each other quite well. I mean, they live in Rome. They travel to Corinth. They travel to Ephesus. They travel back to Rome. They travel to Ephesus again. They have a church in their house. They welcome the Apostle Paul as a permanent house guest for a year and a half. This is a family that gets along. They obviously support and uphold one another. Isn't that what we need to do? Don't we need to have families like that? You don't have any hint whatever that there's any kind of antagonism between them. You don't have any kind of a hint that she ever did anything to exalt herself. If it weren't for the fact that the Apostle Paul and the writer Luke put her name first, we never have any hints into this thing. She's a very capable person. He's a tent maker. You know, he's a guy who worked by himself. She's the one that gets out there and meets all the people. She's the one that had to take care of the home when the church met there. Who do you think cleaned up? Probably not Aquila. But they are supporting each other in the work of God. They are supporting each other in their family. They are supporting each other in their travels. Wherever they go, they're a supportive team. That's an example for us. One of the joys that I've had these last four years, especially at Northwest Baptist Seminary, when they asked us to direct the doctor ministry program, and one of the things that I asked for was that she would be my executive assistant. And I, and I don't mean she's my secretary. I mean she is my executive assistant. And she pushes things, and she organizes things, and she asks me if I've done such and such and so and so that I haven't done. And that you know, reminds me of things, and she sends out letters and forms, and she is a support in my ministry. Uh, sometimes I'm the one that's up here, you know, and there she sits. You may think that she's behind the scenes, but I know better. She is my support. Priscilla was his support in the ministry of Christ. We ought to be supporting one another. I have a responsibility to support her. So this morning before we left our house, I vacuumed the floor. Yeah, I did. You know, we, we work together. You know, don't often hear men give examples of vacuuming, do you? You know, preachers don't normally use that as an illustration. 
But I imagine you probably vacuum at your house too, don't you? Yeah. Okay. But that's a, there's another reason for that. Uh, but here you've got an example of Aquila and Priscilla. They love the Lord. They love the ministry. They apparently love each other. They love the Word of God. They want to see the church established and grow. And God puts them in the scriptures six times by name. A Christian team, a spiritual team, a supportive team. An example for you and me. As we're involved in the ministry of Christ, let's be that kind of a team in our families, in our husbands, and our wives. And if you don't have a husband or wife yet, look for one that will be a teammate with you. One that will work with you. Christian, support, devoted to the word of God, committed to the church, to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what God wants us to be. And here's an example that shows you it can be done. Take what God gives you and use it for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of this couple. We recognize that many of us sitting here will never be people like the Apostle Paul. We're not going to travel to multiple countries and establish churches. Many of us are going to be limited to a particular town. But Lord, we can be involved in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Just like Priscilla and Aquila. We can open our homes. We can be committed to the word. We can support one another. We can uphold the church of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you'll, ex- that you'll encourage us this morning. Let us determine that we will be these kinds of people. People that know you as Savior. People that are spiritual. People who are supportive. And Lord, let it begin in our families. And then expand and grow throughout the entire body where we minister. And we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.